Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked the favor of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to become first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Excellent. Excellent. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for every gift that you provide for us. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about the kind of leadership that Jesus uh, presented and taught about and modeled, not only for the disciples 2,000 years ago, but for us today. Help us to follow his lead. As we have sung these songs this morning that include a number of lyrics about following, I ask that you would continue to condition our hearts and our minds to be ready to go where you tell us to go and to do what you tell us to do and to say yes when you are looking for someone to step forward. Lord, we pray for uh, whoever was involved in that horrific accident this morning that tied up so many people here uh, this morning. And um, thank you that even though there are, there are days like this when uh, a, a lot gets turned upside down, that you are Lord in, in all situations. We pray that somehow you will use this for good. And not knowing all the details of what happened in that crash, we pray that your spirit would console and stand beside the families that are involved. Thank you for each person here. Thank you for this whole new year that's, that's before us. And allow us to have some thought today about uh, how you are directing us, where you are nudging us to, to move forward, and help us as a church as we try to figure out how to serve our communities together. And now as we look into this passage of the gospel, give us clear insight in Jesus' name. Amen. So thanks for embracing and enjoying all the moving parts this morning. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun together. I have a question for you. Uh, how many of you over the last couple of years have followed the Masterpiece Theater series on The Crown? Anybody watch that, The Crown? A uh, few of you have. Well, in our, our household, we have uh, spent some time watching the first two seasons with some good friends. So I was interested when one of those end-of-the-year, end-of-the-decade um, photo specials about England's royal family popped up in my, my uh, blog file. 
And one of them had photos of the royal family through the decades, beginning with the 1890s. Really interesting to see the changing wardrobe and the changing dimensions of the family. And as this collection moved toward present day, there were then a whole lot of photos of Prince Charles and Prince William of England. Now, the reason for that is that at some point down the line, Charles will become the next king of England. And at some point in the future, his son William will be the next in line and will replace him as the king of England. And that raises a question that many people wonder about. What kind of king will Charles be? What kind of king will William be someday? That was one of the questions on the mind of many people on the day when the Magi first showed up in King Herod's court. They were asking where they could find the one who had been born king of the Jews. And instantly, there were all kinds of questions that were uh, running through the palace. Who was this king? Where was this king? What kind of king would this be? The first two questions turned out to be rather easy to answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law sent the Magi to the small town of Bethlehem to, after doing a quick survey of some of the hints about the Messiah that were included in the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. One specific prophecy came from Micah chapter 5, and it was a key to finding the location. There it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So there would be a new ruler whose origins are from old. So here comes Jesus, the very Son of God, who existed long before he took on human form, and he'd been born in Bethlehem. Soon they would discover that his name was Jesus, the firstborn son to a couple from Nazareth, Joseph and Mary, who had traveled to Bethlehem in order to pay a Roman census tax even though Mary was ready to deliver. The young family had stayed in Bethlehem long enough to be found by the Magi. It might have been a year or even up to two years after he was born, but not so long as to be wiped out by King Herod's jealous rage. You and I all know, if you're familiar with the gospel narratives, that was part of the Christmas story. But the question of what kind of king Jesus would be was still unanswered until the day when two of his disciples, James and John, and their mother, whose name was Salome, made a request that went too far. It's the request that was just read about where they asked if one could sit on Jesus' right hand and one on his left hand when he comes into his kingdom. So this morning we're going to explore that scene and try to answer the question about what kind of leader Jesus would become from the signals and signs that he was giving. And the reason for exploring this is because Jesus' answer to that question still impacts the way that we look at leaders and leadership today. What we learn about Jesus' leadership, the uh, first discovery we make is that his leadership was mission-driven. So in verse 22, he says to James and John, after they put their request forward, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? And they answered, we can. Jesus made it abundantly clear that his redemptive mission dominated everything he did. This conversation took place as Jesus and the disciples were making their way toward Jerusalem. And when they got to Jerusalem, he was letting them know he would be handed over to the chief priests and he would suffer and die and on the third day be raised again. So just in the previous paragraph, he had told them about how he would die. So his answer to the request from James and John was actually given in the context of this mission. 
And he asked this question, can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? This was a reference to his suffering and to his death, that, that Jesus was being forced to drink something that would be bitter at the end. Mark's gospel, when it tells the same story, actually adds another line that Matthew chose not to include. Along with, can you drink the, the, the cup that I'm going to drink? He asked, and can you be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Now, Jesus wasn't saying that he was going to be baptized again in water. He was using that as an illusion that baptism is a symbol that talks about dying to something and being raised again. And so he was letting them know that he was going to die. And he was asking them, can you guys walk with me all the way through this difficult journey? Here, both the cup and the baptism refer to Jesus' suffering, but also to his being raised up into newness of life. The question behind this is, why were James and John asking for authority and recognition in Jesus' kingdom? In other words, why were they asking for him to allow them to sit in the, at his right hand and at his left hand when he would finally come into power? Matthew wrote that their mother asked this favor from Jesus, while Mark has this question coming from the two brothers. It's not really a conflict. One chooses to be uh, more forthcoming about all the details. Uh, the other is shorter in the way that he tells the story. It is likely then that Matthew tells the fuller story while Mark is more brief. But this had been an, an ongoing discussion between James, John, and their mother, Salome, for some time. And, the, and we wonder, why were they thinking this way? There are some reasons why they might have been thinking that they would be chosen above all the other disciples to sit in these seats of authority. The first reason was that their mother was Salome, who was a cousin of Mary, Jesus' mother. So they were family members. Salome was one of the women who at times traveled with Jesus and the disciples, and she was also one of the women who went down to the tomb on that resurrection morning, thinking that they were bringing spices and flowers to anoint Jesus' grave, and finding instead that Jesus wasn't there, and that the angel commissioned them to go to be the first preachers of the gospel, in this case to preach the gospel of the resurrection to the disciples who didn't understand yet what had happened. This also meant that James and John were not just disciples of Jesus, but they were also cousins, probably second cousins of Jesus, family members, and they already had a close relationship. As part of this extended family, they started following Jesus before most of the other disciples came on board. And they were also part of this inner circle that Jesus cultivated, where James and John and Peter were the three who were at the center of the twelve. And they started to think maybe there was a special role for them in the kingdom of heaven as well. But their request went beyond that. It also included notes of personal ambition rather than being mission-driven. And so Jesus began to teach about his brand of servant leadership. There are three things he wanted them to know. The first is that servant leadership is mission-focused. The second is that servant leadership is not marked by the pursuit of power, authority, or recognition. And the third is that in servant leadership, greatness always comes through the pathway of serving other people. Here's the second discovery. The leadership of Jesus is marked by submission to God. Not only is it mission-driven, it's marked by submission. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. 
In Jesus' kingdom, if you haven't figured it out or if I haven't figured it out, we do not get to pre-select our rewards. <laughs> Sometimes we, we kind of hope that we could do that. We want to send suggestions on to God in our prayers. But we don't know all of what's coming. We live within that, that tension and also with that bit of surprise. James and John here were asking about rewards and positions of recognition, and they were sending some thoughtful suggestions of what they thought would work out best. And Jesus was letting them know that their ambition was out of place. So Matthew adds in another detail that when the other disciples, the other ten heard about this, they were upset. In fact, the, the Bible uses this really interesting word. They were indignant over this. So here's the lesson for us. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are called to serve without knowing how Jesus will reward. Can you trust Jesus with that? I would hope so. I hope we can. We know that God is a giver of good gifts. We're told that. And so we can surmise that Jesus is as well, but we don't get to dictate the answer to that question. Jesus, on the other hand, was completely comfortable with submitting these matters to God the Father. Jesus will be reigning in this kingdom, but this is a kingdom prepared for him by God the Father. And so some decisions completely belong to the Father. Including in those are the timing of when Jesus will come again and the timing of when this kingdom will be set up in all of its fullness. And we discover by thinking these thoughts that true servant leadership submits to the mission and decisions of God. So here's what we're discovering. Here's the big idea for this morning. The final gift of Christmas is one that wasn't unpacked until 30 years later the final gift of Christmas is a king who came to serve and who was unlike any of the other kings of the world. Our third discovery is that servant leadership is the opposite of the world's pattern. Look at what Jesus says in verse 24 and following. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. In other words, it's not going to be this way in the kingdom I'm setting up. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. The kings and rulers of that time were consumed with conquest and power just as many of the rulers in our world are consumed with conquest and power. Think of Herod the Great who reigned when Jesus was born. He had some of his own sons put to death so that they could not threaten his rule. And he ordered what we call the slaying of the innocents, the boys of Bethlehem, under two years of age. Leading Jesus' way is not about gaining power. It's not about gaining authority over other people. And so Jesus' negative comment centered on the way the leaders of that day used and abused their power and authority. He made it clear that any leader following him would not follow this pattern. Greatness in the kingdom of God comes through serving other people. That is always the pathway. If we want to achieve greatness, we have to follow that pathway of serving others. And he even takes that farther to say that whoever would be first among the great ones is the one who chooses to become a slave of all the rest. Now, that last statement is a radical statement intended to, to make a point that he wasn't kidding with this stuff. 
that he really was against those who, who climb for position and who power up on people, that he was trying to raise an army of, of people who serve the needs of others. And Jesus lived out this pattern of, ser- of servant leadership. He modeled this as he trained and taught his disciples, even as he washed their feet, though they objected. And he completed his leadership as he gave his life for the people he came to save. And then the final uh, lesson, the final discovery from this passage. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And so he finishes out his statement saying, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's the answer to the question. What kind of leader would Jesus be? He was a king who came to serve, not for other people to serve him in that moment. His whole life was focused on his mission, culminating with the giving of his life as a ransom for many. Just to be clear, his death was the ransom price that frees us from from the power of sin and death. This statement was also part of his answer to James and John's question about recognition. And so Jesus answers with his very own personal mission statement. I've come to serve, not to be served. Because Jesus came to serve, he now sends his followers out to serve in his name, following the same pattern. This is a major part of our calling and a major part of our identity as Christ followers. We should never be surprised when we are called to serve for the cause of Jesus. Let me tell you one final story, and then we're going to to, uh, transition into what we're going to do here for the rest of our time this morning. I was blown away a few months ago uh, by an example from a, a couple here at North River. Some of you know Robert and Michelle Duchatelier. They moved here as they retired or semi-retired about three years ago. And Michelle's on our deacons team, and, and Robert likes to serve behind the scenes. On this particular day, we'd had a funeral here, and they were the last ones here. Many people had been involved in setting up and breaking down, and, and they did not leave until every last thing was cleaned up. Usually I'm the last one out on those days. And so I was surprised as I saw Robert and Michelle kind of moving around, and I said something to Robert. I said, you know, this is really encouraging to me that that you go so far in the way that you serve. And this is the way he responded. He said, Pastor Paul, I'm just answering the call. That's all I want to do with my life is whenever Jesus calls, no matter what it is, I want to answer the call. I walked away in my office and I thought, holy smokes, this is unbelievable. And I walked back out and I said, do you have any idea what that does to me when I run into somebody who says, this is my life's mission, I just want to answer the call. Folks, that's who we are. That's what Jesus is trying to produce in us. The final gift of Christmas is a king who came to serve and then sends his people out to serve in his name. So this morning, we have a brief little uh, project. We're going to take about 15 minutes. We're not going to take your whole day, but we're going to take a few minutes to encourage the people of Bethel Church and Mapalo. Can you say that name with me? Mapalo. Mapalo is the name of the village where Catherine and Mark have been spending time for the last seven years as they've gone back. The village used to have a different name and it was filled with poverty and crime and a whole lot of stuff. But they renamed the village as a result of the mission work that's gone on there. And the word Mapalo means blessing. So the people of that community renamed their community recognizing God has blessed them. And that's the community that we're partnering with. So... Amy's going to come up here. Do I need to give, do you need to give any more instructions or are we all set to go? 
I'll, I'll, I'll wing it then. You have a sheet of paper in your notes that uh, just says For Zambia on it. And we're going to ask you to do something creative. You can either team up with a child, if you have one or you know one or there's one near you, or you can do something on your own. But think of a favorite Bible verse, maybe part of the lesson this morning, or maybe write a note of encouragement. Uh, they all speak English despite all the other dialects and languages that are spoken in that country. And uh, what we're going to do, there's a table in the back where Amy and David are. We just wait for a second. And if, if you're finished, bring your, your uh, drawing or your Bible verse or your bookmark, whatever you're going to turn that into, back to them. They're going to scan it in so we can look at them up on the screen. And in about 15 minutes, we'll sing our final song and have our offering, and we'll be done for this morning. So you ready? We're doing ministry, not just talking about it for the next 15 minutes. Ready? This is a king who serves, right? But then we're connecting that to at least a small gesture of tying that together with act actively serving some other people around the world all in one shot. Think of it like when uh, in September we go out and we spread out all over the South Shore and we do those serving projects together. This is one of those days where in a smaller way we're, we're applying it directly of all ages. Let's pray that God will bless this. I'm going to ask that you stay seated for the final song and for our offering um, because we're going to give you the opportunity to watch these things as they're um, getting sent through the technology and hopefully yours will make it up there. Father God, thank you for the opportunity for us to experiment a little bit, to include the children of the church in helping us think through how we encourage, maybe even inspire, and um, work together with Christians around the other side of the globe. Thank you for sending Jesus into our world and thank you for answering the question about what kind of king he would be through this unintended blunder by James and John. Thank you for the incredible character of Jesus that he serves first and that he's continuing to raise up a great host of people all across the world who serve others in his name. And we pray that you will use this for good. We don't know how, we don't know who, but we trust that you will put these words of encouragement in the right hands at the right time. And we ask that you bless the, the offerings and all that we do around here and for the generous hearts that are part of North River. In Jesus' name, amen.